Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Genesis chapter 45. We're going Old Testament today. There is this thing that we follow on a regular pattern and basis here at Refuge called the lectionary. And the lectionary is this calendar that allows us to track with Christians all around the world with four common passages every single week. And so there is an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, a gospel passage, and a psalm reading. You heard the gospel passage a little bit earlier when my friend Alexis came up and read from Luke. And I love that passage. And it would have been so easy just to speak from that because of this idea of love your enemies. But I love the backdrop that Luke gives to our Old Testament reading for today because Genesis 45 is such a powerful chapter. But you can't just jump right into Genesis chapter 45. It creates the opportunity for an understanding of what's really happening. And so we have to zoom out a little bit and understand. And we love maps around here. And I would love to put a map up on the screen right now. This is the map that we're going to be focusing on today. This is the, the time period and the place in the world where a lot of the activity of Genesis chapter 45 lands with. Actually, we need to back it up to Genesis chapter 37. There's a guy in the Old Testament, a guy named Joseph, who, for the most part, has the majority storyline from the book of Genesis. Now, when an author writes about one particular character more than any other character, you wonder, should I be paying attention to that one a little bit more? And on this one, we really should. We should dive into the life of Joseph and understand. And Joseph is a pretty famous character. He's even been immortalized in our culture. If you have loved stage and cinema before, you perhaps have heard about it, maybe even in you understand on the screen, this, this storyline that's out there called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I don't know if you loved that production or not, or you made fun of it. I don't know what kind of a person you are. But that's the storyline that we get, this understanding of going back into Genesis chapter 37. There was this boy named Joseph who was one of the youngest of these brothers. And the older brothers had the job to do that their father Jacob had told them about. And now this is not just any family. This is a line of family that descends from Abraham. So for the Jewish people, everything goes back to Abraham. Yes, we love the story of Adam and Eve from all the way back in the beginning. But sometimes Genesis seems like larger than life characters and storylines. And what do we do with it? But Joseph is the storyline of this young brother amongst all of his older siblings, trying to find his way in the world. And as the brothers are off tending to their father's flock and to the land, their father decides, this is my favored son. Let me give him a special robe or cloak or technicolor dream coat if you're Andrew Lloyd Webber. And that presents like a little bit of a problem and, may I say, disconnect or tension between the youngest and his older brothers. I don't know if you've existed in a family with siblings before. Sometimes they don't always get along. Are you aware of this? It's a crazy thing. You think that in a family, everyone just loves each other. But siblings have this opportunity to draw distance from one another in crazy ways. And Joseph gets this 
technicolor dream coat, this robe that shows daddy loves me. And over here, you got the brothers who are saying, we hate you, right? Daddy loves me and we hate you. And I'm not going to break out into song, I promise you. But this is what's happening. And so the brothers begin to scheme and come up with a plan that the next time Joey comes along, we are going to make it seem as though we have killed him and send back that dang, I could use other words, but that dang technicolor dream coat covered in blood with the message to daddy, your boy is dead. But instead of doing that, let us, let us at least sell him and get some money out of it. I mean, if we kill him, What's the point of that? Let's at least pad our pockets with some money. So the next time some traders come through, they take their youngest brother and they sell him into slavery, into Egypt. Why? The map is important. It helps you understand where this is taking place. Now you've got Egypt in the bottom left of the map, and you've got all the way in the top right, that area of Canaan, around that area of the Dead Sea. Now, obviously, this is a zoomed-out map. There's lots of things happening. There's places like Jerusalem. There's places like the Sea of Galilee that we've heard about before. We've got the Jordan River and other places. But the route that you see there with the dotted lines is the typical route most travelers would take if you're going from Canaan all the way down to Egypt. And that is the route that Joseph was sold and the caravan that he was sold to to get to Egypt. Now, that's just the beginning of the story. Jacob, the dad, thinks that his boy is dead. Step into that feeling just a little bit. Now, there's no modern medicine back then, and kids died quite often because of either pain of childbirth or perhaps just the elements of the day. And so kids dying happened but for Jacob, this boy that he loved was dead. Did you imagine trying to go on without that boy? Even to this day, even with the modern miracle of medicine, there is still pain that happens when someone dies unexpectedly. So the feeling that Jacob has is a bit lost. But his brothers just continue to tend to the local fair, the 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 land that their father has and the flocks that he has. While Joseph, who's down in Egypt, his story picks up. First, he becomes a servant in Potiphar's household. Now, Potiphar was one of those uh, governmental officials that the Pharaoh had put in charge of a bunch of things, and, and Joseph was working in that place. In this storyline, we've heard it before at times. If you've been around church of any kind, you might hear the story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife because, you know, her, she thought Joseph looked good and wanted something more than just his serving around the house. And so she propositioned him a few times. And if you need help understanding what that means, we can talk afterwards she propositioned herself many times, Joseph, please, my, 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 my husband's gone. It's totally okay. And Joseph continued to say, no, I will not, I will not mess up the relationship I have with my master by doing that. And she continues to throw herself at him 
You can imagine, I am trying to figure out why no Hollywood movie has been made about the Potiphar story. It would be so amazing. <laughs> Joseph continues to resist, and then in her last opportunity, she decides to throw herself one more time at him, and he runs away, and she grabs his tunic, his cloak, not the technicolor one, and he runs away, and she's left holding this, and she knows exactly what to do. Well, if I can't have Joseph, no one can. And so when her husband Potiphar comes back to the household, she shows him this cloak and says, that servant of yours, he tried to come on to me. He took his clothes off. I've got him right here. And Potiphar, you can imagine, went from zero to 100 real quick and sent Joseph to prison. While in prison, Joseph meets some people, a guy named a baker and a guy named a cupbearer. It's kind of a fun story. You can continue to read in Genesis how things play out. They have some crazy dreams. Joseph interprets them, but Joseph is left in prison until one day Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret the dream. Yet this cupbearer and the baker remember that there was this guy in prison we met a long time ago. He could interpret dreams. And the problem with the Bible, I will say this, is we compress the stories thinking that they just take a couple of weeks each time. This is years. This is years of Joseph being sold into slavery. Jacob, his father, has no idea what's taken place. And Joseph lives this other life that they don't know about. He is not posting on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. No one knows what he's up to. And when he is called upon to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, Pharaoh is amazed that none of his other people, none of his other servants or wise men could interpret the dreams. And it's Joseph who says, well, let me tell you what it's all about. And Joseph is, I mean, the, the Pharaoh is so taken by Joseph's ability that he says, there's something special about you. Let me put a bunch of responsibility before you because you need to serve in this kingdom. And I, you're not gonna stay in prison anymore. You get to have a seat of power and honor. And we like the story. We're like, oh, that's so good. You know, next time you're sold into slavery, just wait. You get to be in charge. And we quickly assume that's how the story goes. But eventually there is famine. Not famine in Egypt yet, but there's famine up there in that place called Canaan. Canaan is a place where Jacob, Joseph's dad, lives, and all his brothers and all their families, and they are beginning to be worried, where are we going to get food? And they have heard... They have heard that there's food down in Egypt. And so Jacob says to his other boys, boys, head to Egypt and beg for food. Figure out a way to see if they'll let us buy some food. And so there's this journey, again, along the dotted line that you can see on the map, that they go from Canaan all the way down to Egypt. And they plead, and Joseph has this moment where he realizes it's his brothers who have come to town who are wanting this food that Egypt has in the storehouses. And Joseph is presented with an opportunity. What do I do? And he kind of toys with them a little bit. This is where the story is really helpful to read. But I want to fast forward a little bit to get to Genesis 45 where we're heading today. Because he toys with them, he does some things, he's trying his best to kind of keep his distance and also not reveal who he is. 
And I always wondered, as a kid, when I read, read this story, like, really? You had no idea? I mean, it's, it's like Superman. Like, I mean, Clark Kent, it's, what, what are you talking about? He looks the same. All it is is glasses, right? Like, what's happening right now? Why has everyone, including Lois, been so deceived? Why is that possible? All right, so then we take into the account the brothers who see their brother in a position of power, but they don't know it's him. I mean, perhaps he's got a beard at this point. Perhaps he has changed his clothes, and he looks differently than he did the last time they bought and sold him into into slavery. So he looks different. And Joseph is trying to keep his distance, and he cannot keep it anymore. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 45. Beginning in verse 3, the story goes, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I imagine there is some jaw-dropping moments right now. If you could just see the meme taking place, all the brothers are like, Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, There has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. When you read these words and you understand the story, it's as if it's taking on a lot bigger importance. So then... He goes on, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And then we drop down to verse 15 to see the story end for today. And he, Joseph, kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him like they could finally get the words out to say something because they were in the presence of Pharaoh's regent, the one who had the power to destroy life or to give it. And Joseph reveals his identity and says to them, it's not you who sent me here, but it's actually God. And sometimes we read this story and we think, that's the tension I'm living in. 
wondering, when is it that I'll understand what the pain I've gone through is all about? It's the two viewpoints that we have about so much of life. And it's quick for us to understand or perhaps even to guess at the feelings Joseph had. Well, it was worth it because you became ruler. And because you became ruler, then you became a man of forgiveness. What's the time span? Some scholars would say it's about 13 years from the moment he was sold into slavery until the moment his brothers come to him. That's a long time. But that's a long time for God to work on Joseph's heart and his soul. And I wonder if God is interested in taking that amount of time with me. Because I step into this place and I have the backdrop of Luke in mind when I read this passage. When the gospel reading for today says, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you and mistreat you. Understand that you have been given much, but much is required. And if you choose not to forgive, you will not be forgiven. But if you choose to forgive, then you will be forgiven. And I can't help but look through Jesus' words and the understanding of the cross into Genesis 45 and think that what Joseph's story is for us is an example of what Christ has already done. Joseph is that figure. Why is it that the author of Genesis would spend so much time on Joseph's story? Because he knows what's coming, or at least that's part of how I think it should be. We have the whole scope of the story right before us. This Bible that we hold is not just disjointed chapters or books, and we don't understand what happened back then to what happened when Jesus was around, or even what happens to today. So for me, when I look back into the Genesis story and I hear how Joseph says to his brothers, it wasn't you who sold me here. God sent me here. And I'm not going to treat you the way that I should treat you. I'm going to treat you the way that God has challenged me to treat you. And that's the hard part. Because sometimes the words of Jesus tick me off. I don't know who in your list is your enemy who's outside the lines that says they. They exist out here, and I have become so angry towards them. We can imagine stepping into Joseph's space and be like, I'm so angry at my brothers, I will never give them food. But Joseph steps back and says, no, 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 no. I was not sold here because of your vengeance and hatred towards me. I was sent here. And it's Joseph's understanding of being sent that has all the difference for me in this story. Because if you will, go with me on this. Joseph says, I was sent ahead of you to preserve life. I'm captured by that phrase because I wonder if that is what we are supposed to do. If you can imagine an advance party of any kind, it's the advancement of If in wartime we advance and we send spies to look out, like, what's happening? Do we have what it takes? If you go back into the history of warfare, you often need people to go look at the expanse of the terrain to understand what's our strategy. 
But that's not how God is. He's not in the moment of like, hey, let's look over the mountain and figure out our strategy to go kill people. He's sending an advance party to say, hey, the kingdom of heaven that I have set up is a particular way. And it's going to be a way where we love enemies because that's how the king has said it's supposed to be. I don't get to just continually go back into my own feelings and say everyone outside the line is going to hell. That's not what I get to do. Because apparently God loves people who are outside my box. And that's the most frustrating thing about him. Because if I hear the words of Jesus say things like love your enemies, that's frustrating. Because I want Jesus to hate my enemies and tell me that I was right. And that is not what he's doing right now. He is pointing out with the expanse of the story to understand the Luke words of Jesus, that I should love my enemies over here. And then we have the story of Joseph who says, you meant harm to me, but God sent me ahead. All that you thought you were doing to me, God had other plans in store. That he was sending me ahead as an advance party to express what his kingdom is all about. And I know I'm compressing things and trying to just kind of distill for you what God's up to in these passages. But they are life-challenging passages because every one of us has people outside the circle that we have written off and said they're not worth it. And God's saying, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then I want you to act like the words of my son, Jesus, who says, love your enemies. And that one is so hard. I don't know who's on your list. If we were to be honest with ourselves and have coffee or a meal and express it, I bet we might even have some of the same people on our list, but I would be surprised at your list and you would be surprised at mine. And Jesus is saying, don't stay there because I'm sending you ahead to show the world what my kingdom is like. And the frustrating part is we live in a world right now where it's not exactly perfect. That's the problem. There's a guy, a theologian from years ago says, the issue with the world is right now, it's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm like, that's it. It's not the way it's supposed to be. God set it up to be a certain way, and it seems like we have made a mess of it. But we can sit in the cesspool of the funk of this place and say, it's never going to get better. It's always going to get worse. Or we can see ourselves as the advance party for heaven that says there's going to come a day where God does his best. And we get to point people to that. We don't stay here and say it's all going to hell in a handbasket like my grandmother did. We get to say, God is on the move. God is up to something. God loves my enemies. I don't see it right now, but he does. But I want to proclaim love and forgiveness and to speak justice and righteousness to a world that has anything but that in mind. And I want to point to the king. And I love the stories that we get told that are told today about loving our enemies, and a story about a boy sold into slavery who says, it wasn't what you thought, but God sent me ahead. And if we could grasp that today, February 20th, 2022, that God is sending us ahead 
to show the world what his kingdom's all about. That would change everything. Hey, let's pray. Lord, when we open up your word, your scriptures are often piercing like a knife. They cut to our bones and remind us of the moments where we are not as we should be. And we can get hung up there and just say, ah, that's the way it is, that's the way I am. But God, may we sense what you are up to all along, that we, your people, your followers, are the advance party for heaven. And not heaven in a place that we're getting out of here, but the kingdom of heaven as a reality that's still on its way. And we get to help usher it in because we love you. We love how you have loved us, that you would go to the ends of the earth for us, that you forgive so swiftly. And you care about the needs of those who are broken. Oh, Holy Father, would you, would you meet us in our soul and our mind and shape us differently today towards your kingdom. May the words of your Son be guiding more than anything else that's said in our culture today, may it be this, the words of your son that guide us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.